Everybody's happy. <laughs> to hit some wrong button here because let's see what we got all right if you have a bible open to, with you open up to ephesians chapter three In fact, we got an apartment just a few blocks away from here. It's on North, on North Ninth Street. And uh, so, uh, when we get here, I could probably walk to work in the morning. Wow. <laughs> it's not going to be so bad. We'll um, we'll fly back uh, to Texas tomorrow uh, afternoon. Um, we're going to use those pods uh, system to move our stuff. And to get our stuff here for the first weekend in May, they had to ship out no later than April 18th in uh, Texas. So that's going to give us about a two-week period. So we figured to make the best of it, we had to get our car here anyway. We're going we're gonna to take about um, two weeks to drive from Texas here. And we have six or so friends we're going to visit along the way. There's a bridge church in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'll preach there that Sunday the... 19th, I think it is, and we'll get to spend time with Michael and Elise French, wonderful people. They're just absolutely delightful, and they have the bridge in Birmingham, Alabama. And then we'll go visit some uh, friends in South Carolina. Anybody know Jim Driscoll from the interpretmydream.com website? Jim's, Jim's an awesome guy, and uh, Jim has a few other um, people who used to go to ch- our church in Washington. As a matter of fact, he's got three couples and, uh, and their children. At our, at, from our old church there, so we're going to stop by Fort Mill, South Carolina, and, and visit uh, with them, and it'll be nice to get to see those guys. Two of these guys, I mentioned Tyler the last time I was here, and, and his good buddy Jason, and their families are just, just uh, very near and dear to my heart. Jason and Tyler very much are spiritual sons to me, so we'll stop up in uh, uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina, and visit with them. Then we're going to go to... Um, uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. One of my oldest friends, uh, someone I, I met uh, just about the time I got saved back in Brooklyn, an old friend, Camilla. She's a, one of the professors at uh, Liberty University, the psychology department. We'll get to visit with her. I was best man at her wedding. Her husband passed away a few years ago. But we'll get to see, we'll get to see her and then head up to West Virginia and see some people at the church that we had pastored up there as well as one of my other oldest friends, uh, a buddy of mine, Jim, and uh, then we'll go from West Virginia to Pennsylvania, get to see Nadine's mom uh, for a day or two or so, and we should get in town here either April 30th or May 1st, and um, the pods are going to arrive on May 1st, May 2nd is Saturday, and it'll be the unloading day, and so if some people want to help us unload the pods on that day, I think we'll have a sign-up sheet um, a Sunday or so before that, and you can get to see all my stuff, you know. <laughs> and you'll either be envious or you think, boy, we really need to pray for those guys right now. <sighs> uh, 
Thanks for praying for me. Any, how many of you guys are on Facebook? I know a bunch of you are on Facebook, right? So you get to see all my statuses. I, was, I wasn't feeling so good earlier in the week. Um, I had uh, gotten a fever last Monday, which is not a good thing when you're going through chemo. And uh, but it's the first time I'd ever um, had you know had a temperature. And uh, so I went left work early, went home, and wasn't feeling so hot. Had seen the doctor on Tuesday morning, just you know precautionary, and he gave me. Um, he gave me an antibiotic, a really powerful antibiotic called Cipro. And uh, for the next three days, my stomach was killing me. I just thought I was sick. It took me about three days for the light to go on. I realized, oh, I'm allergic to this antibiotic. <laughs> so I stopped taking the drugs on, Monday, on Thursday night, and boy, I feel great today. Let me tell you, I felt good yesterday. I feel really good today. Oh, boy. You know, things are not always what you assume they are, you know? And one of the problems when you deal with cancer is that everything gets filtered through that, right? Even if something other is going on, in the forefront of your mind is, well, it must be the cancer. Right? I wasn't feeling it. I was sick for days, and my assumption was, my assumption, right? We know what happens when we assume, <laughs> was that it was this thing, but it was really that thing. And it took a few days for the light to go on that it wasn't what I thought it was. It was really a simple answer. Just stop taking this medicine. You're having a bad reaction to this medicine. And when the life finally went on, I knew what the truth was. I started to feel better. And there's some type of spiritual application to that. You can maybe figure out what it is. But Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 has been an ongoing life lesson for me. Where it says, his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And I think this is especially true. Cancer, when you're going through something that's traumatic, dramatic in your life like cancer, um, it's hard, it's difficult at times to have an accurate perception or perspective of what's truly going on. Can you see how it would filter or taint almost everything that you look at, right? To a, a different degree, transitions like that too, right? Everything gets stirred up in transition. And the waters are cloudy, and things are confusing, and it's not as settled as it once was, and things aren't happening the way they always happened before, and I feel unsettled. And it's easy, it's easy to think it's, you know, this is going on when that's going on. To think that it's really something serious and dangerous, okay? So your stomach is killing you. Everything, you know, this, from, from this medicine, right? My stomach's killing me. I thought Rotorudo was going through my intestines. And I'm thinking, oh, great, the cancer is spread, you know. It's eating through my gut. These are the mind games that go on. There's nothing to do with that. You're allergic to the medicine. Stop taking this stupid little white pill, and you're going to feel better in like 24 hours. I don't know what some of you are going through today. You know, I don't know what this transition has done to you. I've been through transition before. I've worked with churches through transition. But boy, oh, boy, wrote a rooter through your gut, does it feel that way sometimes? If that's the case, if that's where you're at this morning, let me encourage you. It may not be as bad as you think it is. And the answer, the solution to the problem, may be a lot simpler than you think it's going to be. And if you just stop taking that little pill, <laughs> in about 24 hours it'll feel better. So be encouraged today. I know how difficult transition can be. We've, we've lived through it. We've, we've really been, Nadine and I have been in transition for nine months now, right? 
We've, we've been in Texas for six months, but it's been such a transitional time. And all the process of leading up to leaving Washington was transitional. But God's in it. He's in it. Isaiah 43, 19, I think it is. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Why would God say that? Because when he's doing a new thing, the chances are we're not perceiving it. Our perception of the new thing may not be completely accurate. But God's obviously doing a new thing. He's moved people around. He's shifted some people out where it can carry awesome, wonderful people. We've gotten to spend some time with them in Texas. they got a really neat-looking apartment, let me tell you. And, uh, and God's moving us in. He's obviously doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? There's an unusual um, alternative translation of the Bible called the, um, the Emphasized Bible by uh, this gentleman named Rotherham. It's, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred years old. Interesting translation. And he takes that same verse, Isaiah 43, 19, and he, and he interprets it this way. And, he, and this is the emphasis he puts on it. None of this is in my notes. This is all for free today, all right? Nothing about the road of the stomach, nothing about this verse. I am going to get back to Ephesians 3. But Rotherham has this translation in Isaiah 43, 19, and he, and he takes that same verse that you know, typically sounds something like, you know, now, now I'm doing a new thing. You know, now it springs up. Do you, do you not perceive it? And he translates it this way. He says, behold me, exclamation point, doing a new thing. Behold me. Behold God, doing a new thing. You know what happens when God starts doing new things in our midst? This is where we get messed up. And it it applies perfectly to to transition. This is where we get messed up. God starts doing a new thing, and all of our time and energy gets focused on a new thing. And we don't focus on him. See, he's doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Rather him, I think he's got it right. He says, behold me. Our job, our focus, needs to remain on him, to behold him. He'll do the new thing. He'll do it, and he'll do a really good job at it. But we need to focus on him. What happens is he starts doing the new thing. We focus on the new thing. We forget about him. The new thing gets all messed up when we say, what happened? Our eyes were on the wrong place. John Paul says it this way. What you focus on, you make room for, right? Anybody ever heard that quote from John Paul? What you focus on, you make room for. Let's focus on him. Let's behold him. What does the behold him mean? It means to focus on him until you've held him. Behold him. God's doing new things in our midst. This is the best advice I can give you. Behold him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the beginning, the middle, and let's just fix our eyes on him. It's got to go better if we do that. Okay, anyway, Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Today what I want to talk about is this. I want to talk about two things today, not including what I already talked about. I want to do two things today. I want to talk about dreaming God-sized dreams, and then I want to have some ministry time. Does that work for you? Yeah. Okay, that's good, because that's all I got. <laughs> I'd have been in trouble, kid. Ephesians uh, Ephesians 3, I'm going to start reading from verse 14. You can follow along. 
Paul uh, writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, I pray you use me today. Give me your heart for your people. And I pray that your word would go forth in power and have its huge and full impact on them. Amen? I love this text. Paul has prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 that are just near and dear to my heart. This, this text here is one of my personal favorites. Um, oh, that we, would, um, that we would live the manifest real, realization of these prayers. Things like Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. That I would be firmly rooted and established in love. Like I, like I prayed earlier, that, that I could be a man who lives love. That we could be a church of people who lives love. As I've prayed about you know, coming here and what God wants to do, he's repeatedly used that phrase with me. Live love. What if we just lived love? What if we could just love ourselves? What if we could really love ourselves? How much peace would there be? How much less anxiety would there be? If we could just love ourselves, if we would be at peace with who we are, or who we made us to be. What if we could just love in our families? What if we could live love in our houses? If I could live love toward my wife, if children could live love toward their parents, there'd probably be more peace in the house. Live love. I kind of like that. It's got a little bit of a catch to it. If we could live love in the church with one another. Well, I've been in church a long time. Have you guys ever seen conflict in the church? I've seen conflict in church once in a while. I mean, I'm serious. I've seen it. It really happens. Sometimes church people do this, you know, grind against one another. If we could live love in the church, that would be pretty cool. And then maybe the scripture that says, and all men will know we are his disciples, right? Because we love one another. What if we could just live love inside these four walls? That would be a good thing. It might make us vastly more effective when we go outside these four walls to live love. Oh, that we would be a place that lives love. That we would be firmly rooted and established in love. And that I would actually be able to grasp how wide and long and high, how deep is Christ's love for me? How secure would I be? How much freedom would I feel if I knew the, le- the length and the depth and the breadth of his love for me? I don't think it would make things worse in my life. It could make things better.
And by the time I'm done, done today, I'm going to share with you something God showed me in the Spirit that gave me a glimpse at what, how wide and high and long and deep His love is. I love the part where it talks about us uh, that we would know that love which surpasses knowledge. That I would intimately and experientially know his love. When the, the scripture there, the word know is a word epinosis in the Greek. And epi means by. And gnosko, the other word, means to know by experience. It's an experiential knowledge. Some people have knowledge because they've gone to school and they've had training. They have an academic and intellectual comprehension, right? Other people have knowledge because they've been on the job for 40 years and they really know how things work. You know what I'm saying? Gnosko, the second part of that word, epinosis, that's the experiential kind of knowing. The Hebrew equivalent of it is yada, to know. Abraham knew Sarah, right? And she became pregnant. Adam knew Eve. It's that kind of intimate, experiential knowing. Are you tracking with me? So to know this love of Christ is to know by experience. Epinosis, by an experience. If I can know that love, that surpasses knowledge, academic comprehension, ooh, I want, I want that. I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to know it. I want to know it because I've experienced because I've lived it. I don't want to just know it because I read it in a book and a book told me it was that way. I don't, want to, I don't want to know that God loves me because the book says he loves me. I want to know God loves me because I've had interaction with this love of God. I want that. And then... I don't know, it seems like that'll get me closer to being filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We can just camp there for a while. And then this text ends with, um, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. A God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I've got a pretty good imagination i got a pretty vivid imagination. I can imagine some pretty big things. And, he's, and it says that he can do more than I can even imagine. Now I think we're in the neighborhood of God-sized things. The immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. But what I want to talk about today is dreaming God-sized dreams. I want to be a man who dreams God-sized things. I want this to be a church of people who dreams God-sized dreams. Back in Mother's Day, 2002, it's a Sunday morning, I'm back in Kennewick, Washington, and I'm pastoring this small vineyard church. It would eventually become a bridge church. We were a vineyard back then. And we were praying before the service, and pre-service prayer had just become um, typically a hot time for me to hear from God. We were praying before the service, and God spoke to me. Not an audible voice. The angel didn't show up. It was just that inner voice, but that kind of speaking to my heart where I knew it was him. You know what I'm saying? And he spoke to me while we were praying. And this is what I heard. He said, Tom, I have this against you. (laughs) When God starts that way, he gets your attention. You know what I'm saying? He says, I have this against you. He says, you dream man-sized dreams. 
And it just cut me to the heart. And it took me on a journey of asking questions like, what is a man-sized dream? And if I'm not supposed to be dreaming man-sized dreams, then what are God-sized dreams? What's a man-sized dream? A man-sized dream would be if we took all of the ability that we had as a group and we took all the resources we had as a group and piled them together and then we said, okay, this is what we have and then we decided this is what we can do. And we went ahead and did it. That's a man-sized dream. It's what man is able to accomplish with the strengths and the abilities and the resources that he has at his disposal. And I was one, God apparently said so, who was dreaming man-sized dreams at that point in my life, for my life and for the life of that church. Now this is before we'd ever hosted a conference, before I'd met any of the prophetic guys, before we'd ever taught any streams classes. We hadn't done any of those things yet. But I was dreaming man-sized dreams. What's a God-sized dream? A God-sized dream would be this. We take all of our resources. We take all of our abilities. We take all of our experience, all of our knowledge, and we pile it all up together, and we still can't do the thing that he wants us to do. A God-sized dream requires that God shows up. And that he adds into his resources, his capabilities, into the pile. And now we do it. By definition, a God-sized dream, it's beyond us. It means that we could take the best of everything we have and we're still not close to doing that thing that he's challenged us to do. It's bigger than us. A God-sized dream is Gideon taking 300 men to defeat a massive army. A God-sized dream is Moses standing before a sea and stretching forth his rod so that millions of people can cross uh, by on dry land. A God-sized dream is when Jesus says to Peter, come on out of the boat. And he does it. A God-sized dream is when he takes a little boy's lunch and he feeds the multitudes. He takes the little that we have And he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it away, and thousands are impacted because of it. Those are God-sized dreams. God was telling me that he was too big, and my dreams were too small, and my visions were too limited. God's big. God's really big. And nothing's impossible for him. Absolutely nothing is impossible for him. He took 12 men, 12 red tag men, and he changed the world. Not because there was anything uniquely special about them, other than the fact that God chose them. He's big. Most of my problem with theology today and with most um, authors today on Christian topics is they make God small and they make man big. If you read something, and at the end of reading it, God somehow seems limited, and man somehow seems exalted, throw that book away, and go find a book that when you read it, God seems bigger, and man seems smaller. Because he is enormously big. And if there's anything good in us, it's simply because 
We are the objects of his affection. He's really big. And that he can do anything. And he seems to delight in taking our weaknesses and displaying his strength through them. So who feels weak today? You're in the right place. Who feels limited today? You're in the perfect position. You're exactly the type of stuff he wants to use to show, to show just how big he is, just how awesome he is. God longs to interact with our lives to reveal just how wide and long and high and deep his love is. Because he's the one who really can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Lighthouse Bridge, my first day here, I want to tell you this. It's time to dream. It's time to dream God-sized dreams. Let's put away man-sized dreams. It's not worthy of the God we serve. Man-sized dreams are not worthy of the God we serve. And it's time to start believing for God-sized dreams. Amen? Why not, right? Why not? (sighs) What's your dream? My daughter once said to me, she said, Dad, this is when she was working as my secretary. She says, Dad, you get paid to talk to people. (laughs) I said, yep, and I love it. In Washington, I would go from Starbucks to Starbucks all day long, sharing life with with people. Mostly they would talk and I would listen. And one of the top questions that people would ask me as they would meet with me as their pastor was this. What's my calling? What has God called me to do? Often I have people ask that question. They're desperate to know, what is it that God's called them to do? What's their purpose? It's a great question. It's a question that demands an answer. So I ask you this morning, individually, what's your calling? What's God called you to do? Why has he created you? What's God's purpose for your life? God has a purpose for your life. Right? Everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11. You probably have a sticker on the, a little magnet on your refrigerator or a plaque or something that says it, right? right? Christian bookstores have made a fortune off of this verse. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. God has a plan. If he's got a plan, it would be good for you to know what it is, right? What's God's call in your life? Why are you here? Why are you in this place at this time? God could have stuck you at any point in time throughout history. Why were you born in this era? Why do you live in this state? Why are you in this town? What's your dream? Is it man-sized? Or is it God-sized? Jesus knew why he was there. In fact, he said that he only did everything the Father... He said that he had done everything the Father gave him to do. He had to know what it was, right? Paul knew. He said he'd finished the race. 
What's the race marked out for you? What has the Father given you to do? If you're honest with yourself, if you're honest, most of you will answer, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. I have good news for you today. God has given you a built-in homing device to your destiny. He has. He's given to each one of you a built-in homing device to your personal destiny. Aren't you glad? You're glad I showed up today, aren't you? So I'm going to tell you what that homing device is. It's already in you. You may have to find it. You may have to unbury it, but it's there. And this is the built-in, God-given homing device to your personal destiny. It's passion. What are you passionate about? What do you have a passion for? When people would sit with me in coffee and they asked me what they were called to do, this is the question I'd ask them. What do you have passion for? It's the question I've challenged myself with. If you can discover what your passion is, It'll lead you to your destiny like a homing device. What do you have a passion to do? I've discovered over the years as a leader and as a pastor, if I can help someone um, discover what they're passionate about and then empower them to do it, they'll do it. I I can hand the ball off to them and they'll run with it. They will never fumble that ball. They'll hold on to it their life. Why? Because they've got a passion for this thing. Now, if I just need to pass the ball off to anybody, and I just give them the ball, and it's something they're not passionate about, they'll fumble it every time. Especially when the thing they are passionate about comes along. They'll throw that ball away and get the ball they're passionate for. What do you have a passion for? What lights your fire? What could you do all day, every day, if they paid you or not? What would you pay somebody else if they would just let you do it? At the end of a full day of doing that thing, you have more energy than when you started. Those are clues to what your, what your passion is. Now, you know, stay with me here. I'm talking about godly passion, right? I'm talking about holy passion. There, there are ungodly passions, unholy passions. They're just counterfeits. And instead of being life-giving, those things are life-taking. You know, it's kind of like Godly passion is when you have fire in the fireplace. It warms up the whole house, right? You, ungodly passion is when you take fire and you put it on a living room rug. It burns down the house. <laughs> what are you passionate about? Where do you have fire? If you can discover that thing, I'll bet you it's connected directly to God's dreams. Because he's the one who's put that passion in your heart. He's the one who's put that homing device that'll lead you to your destiny inside of you because he loves you. He has a plan for you. He doesn't want to keep it from you. He don't want you to be struggling and confused and frustrated all your life, never able to fulfill the thing for which he created you. He wants you to be in that right place at that right time. He wants you to fulfill your destiny. He wants to work with you to see God-sized things happen. Now, here's another piece to the puzzle. 
in accomplishing God-sized things. This is important. Along with identifying what your passion is, you need to understand the difference between what and how. What versus how. A huge hindrance to dreaming God-sized dreams is when we ask how before we ask what. If we ask how before we ask what, we will stay in the place of man-sized dreams. We will limit the what by our how. A man-sized dreams asks how first. God-sized dreams asks what first. Faith demands that we ask what before we ask how. It demands that we ask what first. How is important. How we're going to do something, it's important. It's very important. But it's got to remain. If we're going to live as people of faith, if we want to do God-sized things, how has to stay in its proper place. And its proper place is after we know the answer to the question, God, what are you doing? Then we can ask, how can I do it with you? First, we've got to ask the question, what? And this is why. When we hear God speak to us, when he reveals what, it gives us faith to believe for how. When he tells us what the God-sized dream is, and it's written in our heart, it stirs faith up in our spirit, and we can believe him. When Jesus said to Peter, come out of the boat, it gave him faith to believe and to step out of the boat. The tie between what God tells us to do and, and, and seeing it realized in the how, that's the place of faith. The place between the promise given and the promise fulfilled, that's the place of faith. When our souls overpower our spirits, the hows in our minds drive out the faith for the what. God said to us. That making sense? When I'm in a place of faith, I can believe God for anything, no matter what he says. When I'm not in a place of faith, when my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions are overruling my spirit, then hell will come through like a bulldozer or a steamroller, and it just flattens me. And even small hows seem like they're huge. And for many of us, that how usually has a dollar sign on it. Right? How is this ever going to happen? When my soul's overruling my spirit, that's the place where dreams die. My heart grows cold and destinies abandoned are abandoned and men seem to get crushed. So you're still with me? There are three things I said today, if, you're, if you want to jot down notes. Dream God-sized dreams. Godly passion is the second thing. Godly passion, it's the homing device, the God-given homing device to your destiny. And the third thing is ask what before you ask how.
Now I want to tell you a little story. A true story. Of a of a supernatural experience I had. Over the past few years especially, God's been showing me things in visions. And from time to time, as, as the Holy Spirit prompts, I'll share these visions with you. So, look, I'm just gonna, I tell them, I'll just tell them as I get them. And you're free to judge them as you want. You can believe me or not believe me. It's totally up to you. Um... But I will share them with you, so we, you know, you might as well get used to it. <laughs> um, I know some of you guys have, have read um, mine and Nadine's blog. If you look on my blog back on the dates of April nineteenth to twenty seventh of two thousand and six, I, in greater detail than I'll share this morning, I wrote about about this experience. So if you if you're interested in more. I refer to this as my 11-11 experience. Have any of you guys ever recognized noticing numbers repeatedly? Like everywhere you go, you see 222 or 333 or numbers 44 or whatever. I'd gone through a season back in the fall of of, uh, 2005 where I was seeing 11-11 everywhere. It was on a road sign. It was on a digital clock. It was anything that could have a number on it. I was seeing either 11 111 or 1111. And it was going on for like weeks. And I'm thinking, you know, God, you're trying to tell me something? I'm, you know, what is this? And I'm looking up every 1111 verse I could find in the Bible, and none of them are really resonating with me, speaking to me at that point in my life. But I just kept seeing 1111 everywhere. And so, um, you know, I just kind of filed it away. Then in, uh, in October, October 22nd of 2005, I'm at a conference. And, and Aaron Evans is there. Do you guys know who Aaron is? Aaron was the vice president of Streams for a while. Wonderful man of God. Really extraordinarily gifted. Um, him and his wife are down in Peachtree, Georgia now. Aaron's a, Aaron has become a good friend. But I didn't really know Aaron then. And uh, the conference was over. And Aaron had been one of the speakers. And we were getting ready to leave. We were walking out the door. And so I seen Aaron across the lobby and just went over to say uh, goodbye to him. And Aaron looks at me, he goes like this, he says, 11-11. He said, something good's going to happen on November 11th, you give me a call on the 12th. And boom, it just kind of nailed me. I never thought 11-11 was a date, November 11th, 11-11. Wow. I'm thinking, wow, that sounded like God, that was pretty cool. So I write down, you know, I say goodbye to Aaron, write down on, on you know, a piece of paper, 11-11, something good's going to happen, put it in my pocket, and figure, hey, you know, I'll... I'll find out what's ever going on on November 11th, and I'll uh, block out the day. I'll just spend that day with the Lord. Something good's going to happen. Well, you know, we're traveling back from this event. We were, it was in New Hampshire, and we're flying all the way back to Washington. By the time I get back to Washington, I realize I'm scheduled to perform a wedding on November 11th. It's one of the elders at our church. His son is getting married. I had agreed to do this. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be out of town on November 11th in Whitefish, Montana, because they decided to have this uh, wedding near the YWAM base where the couple had met each other, and uh, we're going to be in these beautiful little log cabins in Montana, and I'm not even going to be home on November 11th. And, you know, I'd already given my word, and I decided, you know, God, if you want to do something good on November 11th, you're going to have to do it in Whitefish, Montana. (laughs) So we leave on... uh, we leave on, on, uh, our, on November 9th, and we drive over there, and 
And uh, they were nice enough to get me a private cabin uh, for myself. Uh, and um, the day of the wedding, the, the mother of the groom comes to me. I had told them, the, 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 the mother and father of the groom were good friends of ours. The husband was an elder at our church. I had told them about what Aaron had said, and I had been seeing 1111s. And the, the mother of the groom says, Tom, he says, have you noticed that there are 22 people at this wedding? said, there are 11 men and 11 women. I said, really? She's like, yeah. She said, um, there are 11 from his side of the family and 11 from her side of the family. I said, really? She says, yeah. She says, you know, both of them have traveled extensively for YWAM. And guess what? He's been to 11 countries. She's been to 11 countries. I was like, wow. I said, I don't know. I said, I think this sounds like God. Maybe I am in the right place on 11-11. You know, what are the odds of that? And just, I mean, to add a little bit more to it, in the next town over, people from our church are teaching a Streams 101 class in um, Bozeman, Montana, right? It's right next, next to Whitefish. And so at 11.11, on 11.11, I'm sitting in a 101 watching people from my church from hundred, hundreds of miles away teaching a 101 class. It just felt like, you know what? I am in the right place at the right time. So... I did have an incredible supernatural encounter with God um, on 11-11. And there, was, there were a few things that led up to it, but there's one part in particular. And like I said, if you want more of the story, you can read it um, on my blog. But this, this part I wanted to tell you about. I'd had this encounter with God. He showed up. He impacted me in a powerful way. <laughs> I share these things sometimes. I understand that if I tell you something and it sounds like I'm crazy, just, you know, go with me, all right? Because <laughs> it happens just like this. I wake up from, at one point, God has breathed into me, all right? And it blows me away. When he, he put his mouth on my mouth and he breathes into me, and it was like every circuit breaker in my spirit just popped. And I'm out in the spirit. I'm on, on the floor in this little cabin by myself. And I'm out. I have no idea how long I'm gone. I finally recover from this encounter with him. And I open my eyes and this is what I see. I see the mouth of God wide open. And I'm looking into his mouth and I see his teeth and he swallows me. I get swallowed by God. But instead of going down into what you would think would be his digestive system, I go down into his heart. See, because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, right? And I go down into the heart of God, and inside the heart of God, it is huge. And so there's verses in Ephesians chapter 3 that talk about how wide and long and wide and deep is the love of God. Inside his heart, I knew that the entire universe fit in there, and there was still room inside the heart of God. It was an amazing place with bright, vibrant colors, and I could see stars and galaxies and clusters of galaxies. And I'm flying around inside the heart of God. And it was the most exhilarating sense of freedom I'd ever felt in my entire life. I'd never felt more loved. I never felt more safe. I never felt more secure. As I'd fly around inside of his heart. Now, there's one point. I'm, there's a point to this, guys. I'm, I'm flying past what looks like a planet. And on this planet are these huge white um, columns sticking out of this planet. And when you're in the spirit like this, sometimes you see things and you just know that you know. 
There's no one there to explain it to you. There's no one there to define it to you. But you, there are things that you just know in your spirit. And coming off of what appears to be some type of a planet, there are these huge white columns. And as I look at them, I know that these white columns are heavenly beings. And this is what they represent. The purposes of God and the destinies of men and women. And I knew, looking at them, a few things. I knew that some of them had never yet been assigned. Because the scripture says you have not because you ask not. And no one had ever asked for them. I knew that some of these others are there because they had been assigned at one point. These purposes of God and these destinies of men and women had been assigned. And whoever carried them for a while dropped them and let them go. And never fulfilled the purpose God had never fulfilled the destiny for their lives. They carried it for a while, and stuff happens. Whatever it was, they were left unfulfilled. I knew that there were others there, that uh, men and women had carried them for a while, they had fulfilled their portion of it, and now it was time for the baton to be passed to another person. They They were ready for reassignment, as it were. And then there were some that they were waiting for their first assignment ever. And as I flew past, and I'm looking at this, I was in this place of incredible security. I felt extraordinarily safe. I felt completely free. And as I looked at these things, I knew that some of those were mine. And it was part of the reason why God had brought me to this place on this date. It's what he'd been preparing me for. It's why he took a prophet like Aaron Evans to tell me about it. That something good was going to happen. And so with great freedom, the scripture talks about coming boldly before the throne of grace. I come boldly before God and I say, God, give me what's mine. And three of these white columns get released like missiles, like streaks of light. And they hit me in the chest. Boom, boom, boom. And they enter into me. And it felt good. It was life-giving. It was extraordinary. And because there were so many more there, And because the atmosphere in the spirit I was in was so free, was so life-giving, a second time I said, Lord, give me more. And five more were released. Boom, 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 boom. They nailed me in the chest. And and one more time, a third time, I said, Lord, give me even more. And three more get released. And they hit me in the chest. A total of 11. And a few other things happened in the encounter. Um, but that's the point I want to share with you today. There is so much more available. There are purposes of God and destinies for men and women that are waiting for assignment. They're waiting for someone to ask. God's waiting for someone to say, Lord, use me. Put it in my heart. Implant within me a God-sized dream. Let me pick up the baton that somebody else dropped. Let me carry what no one else was willing to do. Lord, let me do it. I think he's waiting. I think he's eager to give. He wants to give lavishly. He wants to give abundantly to his people. I know that these heavenly beings are waiting to be assigned. They're eager to be released. Now, I don't tell you this because I think I'm any more special than anybody else. I tell you this because I think there is so much more available. And I believe that some of what I see in that day is for you. 
And so I want to pray. I want to pray for you guys. I know that there's stuff in me to give to you, and I so want to give it to you. So let's stand. And these are a few different categories of people I want to pray for today. So maybe there's a what category. Maybe you don't know what your dream is. And you can't find your passion. That's okay. God's the giver of dreams. And I want to pray for you today that he would give you a dream. That he would give you a God-sized dream. Maybe some of you are here today and, you, and, you, and this is where you're at. You listen to the things I had to say and you're thinking to yourself, you know, there was a time in my life where I had a dream. And that dream died. Well, I want to pray for you today. Because God raises the dead. And even if your dream has died, it's still not too hard for him. It's not over. It's not too late. I know that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let's pray for your heart so that it won't be sick anymore. He'll give you a new heart. For you especially, I want to pray today because it's time to dream again. Maybe some of you have a dream. You've heard what? You just don't know how. How am I going to do it? The scripture says if you lack wisdom, ask. And I want to pray for you today that he'd give you the spirit of wisdom. That you'd know how to do what he's told you to do. And maybe some of you are in that in-between place. You're saying, Tom, I track with you completely. God's told me what? And I even know how. I'm just in that in-between place where I need faith to believe him. I want to pray for a release of faith for you. Maybe you've been cut to the quick. You're one of those people like me who God's just uh, challenged you with dreaming man-sized dreams. Then let me encourage you that he is the one who can take people with man-sized dreams and give them God-sized dreams. So let's pray. Lord, have your way. Holy Spirit, come and fall upon your people today. Lord, I pray that you would release off of us man-sized limitations. Do it, Lord. Just break it off of us. Break that out of shell. Shatter it, oh God. Thank you, Lord. If you're one of the people you don't know, you don't know what, you don't know what it is God wants you to do, and you want to know what, I invite you to come forward. I just want to be able to pray for you today. If you're one of those people you feel like, hey, I had a dream, come on forward. If you're one of those people that had a dream and you feel like the dream died, I want to pray for you today too. Just come forward. Because it's time to dream again. I'm here today to tell you that it's time to dream again. It's time to believe God once again for God-sized dreams. Your hope has been deferred and your heart is set. I want to pray that your heart will be healed.
Maybe God's shown you what. You just need, you just need to know how. You need wisdom. You need for him to give you wisdom on how to do the very thing he's put in your heart to do. He is the source of all wisdom. And maybe there are others here, and the place where you're at is you just need faith. And if that's you, come on forward. We'll pray for a release of faith. Well, Lord, Holy Spirit, come. Maybe we could put some kind of music on. And, and for those of you, maybe you're not in any of those categories, man, you're in a good place today. Glad, would you, you know, from behind, would you stretch forth a hand and, and pray for your friends up here? Maybe Peter and Maurice, would you guys come and help me pray? Holy Spirit, come. Show us how to pray, oh God. You guys come on up here, Peter and Maurice. The Holy Spirit, come. For the people who are up front here, Lord, just fall on them. Holy Spirit, come. I just encourage you, just be in a posture to receive. Just receive. You don't have to do anything. Just, just accept. Just receive. Just go whoever you see the Spirit on. Thank you, Lord. Whoever you see the Spirit on. More, Lord. Now, from behind, some of you guys, you you look at your friends up here and you know the stories. I I don't know them. You even know some of what they've they've dealt with, some of the weight some of the history, some of the story behind why they're standing up here. Let that, let that move compassion in your heart. Would you live love from behind them now and love on them in the Spirit? Let's love on them. More, Lord. More, Lord. More. More. More, Lord. More, Lord. More. Time to dream again. Ooh, a release of God-sized dreams. Ooh.
Come take my 